Welcome back to Is This Still Good with Sage and Hilton. Surprise, Gavin's been replaced. No, he just couldn't. He couldn't make it today. Yeah. We're running a, a bonus episode today because uh, we talked about Shaka Zulu. Um, full context, we recorded the sh- our Shaka Zulu episode a month or two ago, and we're recording this about a week after the, the tragic and surprising passing of Chadwick Boseman. Just want all that context up front. Uh, but when we finished talking about Amazon slash David Hasselhoff's Shaka Zulu, the miniseries, the sequel, the movie, we ended up talking, the three of us, for about another hour, and I didn't record it. And I had leftover questions and just some some extra context, so I wanted to do a bonus episode. How you doing, Hilton? I am doing well, and thank you for having me, Sage. Yeah. You in that time, uh, you're you're an assistant director in the Bay Area, and you've gotten to go back to work a little bit, right? How's that felt? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it has been slow, and it has been extremely difficult it, shooting with uh, COVID nineteen protocols. Um, you have to be extremely careful. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those things where it's you know it it almost makes you wonder: is it all is it worth going back to work yet? Um, and me, myself, I don't like to work unless I feel a hundred percent safe. So mm-hmm. I can say it's been difficult. This year has presented a lot of, uh, huge challenges, uh, at home and at work. And, um, but I am, I'm happy to be active again, but I'm very, very, you know, I'm very careful about which jobs I'd take. I'm very skeptical. And, uh, uh, I'm hoping that sooner rather than later things uh we find we find a more permanent solution to being able to work around COVID-19. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, and I'm not even in a position on set where I'm somewhat in charge of people's safety, so I can only imagine how stressful that's been. Is it are are there enough precautions that or let, let me rephrase the question. Is it still fun working around all that stuff? <laughs> like what we it do is is, is fun normally. It, it it really is not, in my opinion, because you're dealing with things that are just uh, making your job difficult. You can't breathe through your mask. You get mask fatigue. You're not drinking as much water because you're wearing a mask all day. You have to. You can't socialize at lunch because you're sitting so far from people. Everything is is so much different. Different. Like I said, it makes you really wonder. Is each I have to really ask myself: Is this job worth me putting myself out there before each one? And considering what they got going on before I say yes, just because it's like, okay, I want to make sure that not only am I safe, but is it something I really, really, really want to go and do in this time? So um, I would say it's not fun. It's not fun. And I can't wait till I can, um, you know, be around folks without a mask on. But until that day comes, we all have to be masked up, you know? Yeah, well, hopefully sooner than later, but uh, I'm not I'm not holding my breath. Right. Even though that's, you know, the safest way to, to not catch COVID. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you ain't lying. So, Hilton, another thing you did in the meantime is you tracked down the original South African 1985 Shaka Zulu miniseries. What was, what was your take on that? Is it the proper telling you wanted or at least uh, what you would expect from a mid-80s miniseries? It was a complete and total different experience than watching 
the Citadel Shock uh, <laughs> Zulu Last Warrior movie. Um, it, and and it was incredible actually to watch. It was, it, it was okay. So I can tell you, you know, the first couple episodes, it almost felt the same, almost. And then it goes into this entire story of not even starting with Shaka. It starts with his mother's story, and goes through her entire life, like the main events of her life, bringing him into the world, and then his life from birth to death. Um, and it, uh, the series was incredible. They um, they featured uh, the people of the region in, with incredible accuracy um, and, and the, the, the tribal practices and, and traditions with incredible accuracy. Um, if you look into the uh, history of this show and the production, the actual Zulu tribe was very, very much a part of the production and making sure that things were done with accuracy. And that is how something like this should be done. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it definitely was it, it, seeing this for the first time, like at, in my adult life, like at the age of 31 and then understanding you see this and then you understand how a lot of. Um, my elders reference Shaka Zulu as one of the, the most incredible things they've seen. Um, and, and this was in the 80s. And it's crazy how we haven't had something like this ever since. Um, you know, and that's incredible um, uh, just to think about. It's just such an incredible project. And it's also, it's very um, unapologetic in how they are featuring the African tribes uh, in, authentically. You know, and and when I say that, I mean uh, most of the women are topless, and there's there's a there's some very um you know it's it, it things that you would see uh, you would recognize today on uh, current day television as otherwise explicit, but for these people, this is just their way of life. And I thought right, that it's not that sexualized was that under, not at all. And I think that that part, the the, the cast themselves being able to bring that element to their performances um is amazing um you know and and it's something that by by the i think after the first couple episodes it you are completely desensitized to it as a audience member as you are being brought deeper and deeper into the experience of being in with the zulu people it's like incredible watching this show was like insanely incredible to me and the only thing that i wish that was um done differently is that if it could have been done more in the traditional language um, so with subtitles. I would have liked that more. And I like how they play with that as the British begin to show up, to show like when yeah. the British are speaking. You know, they do it very craftily. Like like when, when the, the Zulu are talking amongst themselves, it's in English so that we as the audience can feel uh, very much a part of the experience. And then when the British are there, if the British are in the room and the Zulu need to talk to themselves, the Zulu are, are speaking in their native language with the subtitles and the British are kind of like the outsiders, like waiting to hear somebody translate for us. Um, yeah, it is, you know. it is cool. And it keeps you as kind of an active participant. I watched about, uh, about three episodes of it. And as, as Hilton said, the first, the first episode is mostly white British people talking around in a room. But I was like, Oh shit, it's going to be this again. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But I love, I love being an active participant as people are speaking other, other languages. Uh, it's like if you've ever seen Vikings, they do a very similar thing where there's, there are times where they're speaking Old Norse and there's times where they're speaking English. And it really just depends on who's in the room and how you as the audience need to be confused or who you need to understand. 
Right, um, right. They did an excellent job of this in in, in in this particular series. And I will say also the first couple of episodes, man, they they are very much it. The first scene is about one of the uh, the descendants of Shaka Zulu speaking to the current uh, Queen of England and, and, and uh, you know, requesting that she give back the land that she is occupying. Um, and she explains why she would not. And then it, then the series goes back. It does a flashback to when the British are sending people to to go and make contact with with Shaka. And the first two episodes are are pretty much about that. And then in the third episode, it twist. takes a, it takes a huge plot twist. And now the doctor, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, this doctor, uh, Finn, I believe. Um, uh, but doctor. Then goes back and he tells the story of Nandi as he is being told by the people, the griots of, of the of the of the Shaka of Shaka's Zulu Empire. He's telling her story, so it goes into another flashback many many years before. And the story really, I feel, starts in episode three with Nandi, which is Shaka's mother, and it takes you through Nandi's entire uh, uh, experience with uh, her experience with the, the king of the Zulu and how um, she was uh, an illegitimate wife, how she was, um, you know, banished from the, from the tribe um, and to another tribe that ended up taking her in. Um, and in those people that the king of that tribe, T- King Dingizweo and of the Intechwa in people, these people became an incredible part of Shaka Zulu's life as far as, him growing as a soldier in that tribe and then uh, g- gaining uh, control of a regiment that, that he then used to take back uh, control of the Zulu people in its entirety. He actually took back the Zulu empire and then in being the king of that Zulu empire, expanded the Zulu empire and encompassed a much greater region and many more people. And then, um, uh, you know, went to, to war with uh, another tribe in the north. Um, in, in any case, this this series takes you. It, you feel like you've seen Shaka go from being an idea to being a child to being a teen, an adolescent, and learning things, and then being an adult. and And you understand his experience and his in his mindset and the things that have um, you know molded him into this great general. And it's an amazing series to watch. Um, and it's ten episodes. And um, that that episode three through six really shows Shaka's rise to power. And the episode seven to ten shows when uh, the British made contact with him in the last couple of years of his life, which are incredible. Um, as you see his his contact there, the people that that, that were um, with him, th- this British um, uh, crew got pretty much marooned uh, on Shaka's territory. And they were there and they learned a lot from him and um, they became a part of the tribe almost. And, and then, and then uh, uh, in addition to that, this doctor um, actually treated Shaka Zulu after having a wound. And after that happened, it really changed Shaka's outlook on um, the, the British and their, in, in their uh, uh, medical and, and scientific innovations and made him, you know, a little bit more, uh, 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 lenient and 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 
a little bit more uh, accepting of the idea of British sharing um, territory with him. It was a, a big part of this crew and Captain Farewell's crew being there that did that. In any case, it's really incredible when you see what sh Captain Farewell's experience did to him in trying to return to the British um, and him feeling really a part of the Zulu people. Okay. That would have been useful context for what we watched where he's just kind of there and you don't understand why. You don't understand it, right? So, 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 but in that series, they do it completely bogus. You, I mean, excuse me, in that, in that movie, in the mm -hmm. Citadel movie, it's completely bogus. It's completely different than the way that it is presented in this series. And in the series, Captain Farewell even goes so far as like leaving his wife in, in, um, in, uh, the Cape to go back to the Zulu people and feels a part of the Zulu nation and, you know, his, he has a conflict with Shaka when he gets back there and Shaka is, is not accepting of his presence. Um, there's some really incredible things that they show in this, in this, in this series. I was, I was blown away being able to see this as an adult too, um, you know, and, and really take it all in. Um, and, uh, it's incredible. Also, it's, it's a crafty series. It almost reminds me of like Game of Thrones or, or, um, or, uh, Stranger Things and how the episodes are crafted. In, in, in links together uh there's this there's this awesome theme song we are growing it's at the beginning and end of each episode and that's what you were listening to at the beginning of this episode audience exactly some tasty that, grooves that song kind of goes through this through the series and then in the last you know few episodes it, it like it it changes you know what i mean it's kind of interesting how they how they played with that in in the fact that shaka it's about the song's about shaka zulu um, and and he talks about his experience, which is insane. And it's like it's like one of the best, craftiest theme songs I think I've ever heard for a series like this. In the way that they used it, and they took it and they twisted it and made it really, you know, scory and cinematic in the series is really amazing. Um, in any case, it's a tasty jam. So overall, it, like yeah. a more fulfilling experience and the the story that you wanted. Com completely, like like yo. Like, <laughs> Like I had a, a a vintage Black Panther experience, like a Ooh. longer Black Panther experience watching this show and seeing a show where I'm like, yo, after episode three, man, you got to wait three episodes before you see white people again. I'll keep it real. It was incredible to see just this entire plot built around these African kingdoms and how the African kingdoms operate and how the structure of them are, and how, you know, just the customs are. It was insane to see that and feel like you were like there. I felt like the, the um, recognizing the massive, uh, 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 just the, 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 the massive idea of Shaka's army. So Shaka had, uh, at the height of his, of his power, had 50,000 soldiers. I feel like this series helped me realize that. Whereas with the movie, I made a point about like, man, I see the movie on my eye is like, you know, I can count a hundred extras <laughs> for this scene that they used to, yeah. to show his massive army. Um, and in any case, I just, I felt like Shaka's life was realized and also showing that like, you know, when you hear about Shaka Zulu, if you don't know anything about him, you, you know, he's an African king, he's a general, some people consider him a tyrant. You understand why people consider him a tyrant. Not everything that he did was great. You know, there was some really incredible things that happened towards the end of his life, especially dealing with his mother's um, death. When we were on the last episode, Gavin specifically mentioned he would like to see a movie that showed 
Shaka dealing with his mother's death. So I can tell you that you see that here. And it's incredible. And Shaka, the thing that happened when Shaka's death is that he he made it so that, you know, um, uh, no man and woman could have a, a, a child together uh, after his mother's death if they weren't grieving hard enough. And if they if he found out there was a pregnant couple, he killed them both. Um, if he if he felt like anybody in his in his uh, territory was not grieving enough, they were killed. Um, he he. Uh, and does this this make it into the miniseries? Uh, this made it into the mini the miniseries, dude. Like this isn't this this those last couple episodes are insane. Um, right. and it, and 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 just how he restricted um you know the production of milk, the production of certain um agricultural goods. There's all of these things were 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 featured um in this series and i was like wow i it, to the, it got to the point where i'm like okay they're gonna cut it off at some point to be able to make that movie possible but this it shows you this this mini series was a completely different production this mini series was a project that was literally about it was a it was shaka zulu's biography okay um and whereas that movie was like i feel like was them trying to capitalize on the hype of Shaka Zulu and feeling like, let's just make this other story that we can get a little bit more bang out of our buck and, 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 you know, bring in some more revenue. But that movie in, you know, versus this show, the movie is a complete and total fabrication, complete and total, complete and total. And if you look at some of the reviews for the movie, all the people that have reviewed the movie, the very few people that have, they've referenced the show as being a magnificent work of art. Um, and I, and I now have, after experiencing it myself, I can say the same. Yeah. We'll put a, a link to, to the YouTube series. No, sorry. It's the only place I was able to find it was on YouTube. You sent me a link to some HD copies. We'll put a link on there. I'm right. excited to finish at least the, the African part of it. Yeah. I'm screw it. I'll, I'll finish, I'll finish both. I'll come. You should that. finish the whole thing. You see, yeah. seeing, seeing how he develops after British contact is very interesting. The things okay. that they introduced to him change his whole entire understanding of ruling his country. So it's really important, yeah. I think, to, to see the, the episodes three through seven um, are, excuse me, three through ten, excuse me, are amazing. Yeah. Uh, the only follow up I wanted to ask is from what I've seen, they, they do give the Zulu nation a witch. Do you have any thoughts about that? Right. So, 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 okay. The witch. I'm so, I almost forgot about the witch. This lady is. I wasn't awesome. gonna let you forget about the witch. Okay, don't let me forget about. Okay, so <laughs> you're gonna watch this Shaka Zulu series, and there is um the medicine woman. I forget what they call this particular person, but it's uh, it's the word that they use for medicine woman, and uh and uh they have uh uh, uh every they they consider the doctor from Captain Farewell's crew to be this this person as well. So she. There's this there's this really interesting rivalry that she, that this that this medicine woman has with the doc with the doctor Doctor uh, Finn. In any case, she's like Shaka's confidant, and she's like his chief advisor, and she's using what she's interpreting from the powers of spirit to help to guide Shaka. But she's been around since before Shaka. She was around when Nandi was doing things. So she predicted. His right. existence. Well, it, it seems like they're saying that she's, you know, un, of an unknowable age and she's made up to be like a 300 year old character that you would expect exactly. in like a Marvel movie or something. Yes. 
and and she kind of represents this idea of mysticism and it goes back to like the understandings of um if you're into um hermetic philosophy the understandings of jehuti or thought um in reality this is somebody that we see as a god in history and in mythologies however this was actually a title uh that was carried by several people um and was often passed down so whereas this lady does look like a super 300 year old like entity however she re she reminds me of an entity like merlin where this is a title that is being passed down between several mystic um uh elders and is being carried on and at this time she comes in and it's shaka's rule at the dawn of shaka's origin and all the way through his rule she is there um and i really appreciate this lady because she uh is kind of like you know a reminder to us of of shaka's you know eventual you know uh the height of his power she's always reminding like you, you're going to be great and all the things that you're going to do she's like his guide and then there's some other things that happen shaka when he is an, an adult he comes into contact with another mystic later in his life where he is able to obtain the weapons that he uses to then conquer the uh the, the tribes later it, the, the show is also as much as it is complete and total history these elements of mysticism which i feel like may be based on some serious fact of him dealing with his um his uh spiritual leaders in his tribe i actually really appreciated them implementing that in this show um and giving it just a little bit more jazz man that, that was something that was really awesome to see and it reminded me a lot of just like i said it was like a it was like a longer but more vintage black panther experience um it was really incredible to see how they implemented um african spiritual power and 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 divine intervention in this show i think that's really important because it is part of the black experience um, so I wanted to ask, uh, while, while, I, while I've got you here, while I have your time, uh, yes. we talk about a couple other uh, African historical figures. I think they're all, they're all kings, but we mostly yes. just pay them lip service. Uh, I'm talking specifically about uh, Mansa Musa and Abu Bakari. Yes. I, I, I'm always going to say that wrong because a lot of historical figures, especially in Africa, have like four or five names or yes. different no, you spellings got it, right? of them. All right, cool. Uh, so these these are both uh, from Mali, right? And yes. contemporary. So Mansa Musa, I know he's the the richest man in history. I don't really know why or how, and I was hoping you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So um. So uh. And, and just to be clear, Abu Bakari was Mansa's older brother. So um. He came first. Oh shit. Uh, yeah. So I know so, they were uh, close. I didn't realize they were literally. They were brothers. Is Mansa the title for king? Mansa is the title for for king. So right. so Musa Musa was so it was Mansa Abu Bakari. You know, was the older brother of Mansa Musa. Uh, and in any case, let's start with Mansa Musa, just because you oh, had shit. asked the question. So Mansa Musa was a, a king in Mali. He inherited the kingdom from his brother Abu Bakari the second. We'll get into why later. But uh. Uh, the uh, in the 14th century, in the year 1311, um, Mansa inherited the uh, the kingdom, and when he did this, he um, he I believe he annexed the city of Timbuktu, and in his power, he grew 
the kingdom of Mali exponentially. And in growing the kingdom, he was also able to um, do a lot of uh, gold mining and acquisition. And uh, Mali became the richest kingdom uh, uh, of the time. And Mansa Musa became the richest human being in history with a, uh, uh, um, if in relation to now, he was worth $400 billion. Um, and uh, the biggest thing about Mansa Musa, though, is uh, not necessarily his wealth, but um, uh, how that wealth was uh, displayed upon this particular pilgrimage to Mecca in the year three, uh, I believe it was uh, 1324. Um, and in that year, he took a pilgrimage with, I, I forget how many camels and um, tradesmen that he brought with him, but they all carried significant amounts of gold. And in every city center around that he stopped, he distributed gold um, to all of these uh, different cities. So much so that by the time that he got to Mecca and then returned, he had destabilized the regional economy. Um, and there was a point where when he ran out of gold and had no more gold to give, he, when he got back to his king, his kingdom, he had people gather the gold that he meant to distribute to those people and go and give that gold. Um, and, and I think there was another situation where he borrowed some gold to be able to distribute and then he repaid that gold. M Mansa Musa was so incredibly rich. He had gold to throw at people and that's exactly what he did wherever he went. Um, in any case, uh, uh, he was such a, an incredible uh, uh, figure in history that he was featured on the 1375 Catalan Atlas. And in the middle of that atlas, which is an incredibly uh, amazing piece of history, you'll see Mansa Musa uh, in Africa, a, a depiction of him. Um, while he was in his rule, uh, he also developed several things in Timbuktu. And one of the biggest things that he did while developing that city as a cultural center for Islam, he also developed the uh, University of Timbuktu. Um, uh, and this was after his his pilgrimage when he returned back. In any case, Mansa Musa um, was someone that was an he was an incredibly generous king. Um, you know, while in, in addition to expanding his empire, he you know he he uh, pretty much uh, brought in a lot of these other kingdoms. He, you know, he and they they were brought into the Mali Empire, and everywhere he went, he he just gave a lot of his wealth. And was still able to retain much of that. That's how much okay. he had, um, and I think that that's incredibly important. Is is also his um, his uh, uh, dedication to the proliferation of Islam. Um, right. It you know was an amazing thing. Um, this is something that people don't know about Mansa Musa. They, but when you look him up, you usually find out he's the richest man in history. No, if, if you if you know anything about him, it is it is that. Um, I, I had a quick follow up because yeah. The, the idea of the richest man in history just kind of sends chills down my spine because when you compare it to anyone else who comes close with, in, with inflation, I'm talking about uh, Andrew Carnegie. I am unfortunately talking about Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And I'm talking about uh, – do you know who Marcus Crassus is? Uh, not readily, sir, but yeah. All right. So really quickly because I think it's one of the most fascinating tales of all time. Marcus Crassus – uh, is the other person that may get thrown out as richest man of all time. It's unknown how much money he has. He was a, he was a Roman 
firefighter. He ran a uh, one of the first public firefighting. No, sorry, private. It's very private because what he would do is he would show up to people's houses who are burning with a fire brigade and be like, hey, we'll save your house if you give us your house. Mm. So he ended up owning just like a third of Rome through all of this. So it's an mm. unfathomable amount of wealth. But these are all people who accumulated their wealth on the backs of of workers, on the backs of uh, people I haven't mentioned would do it on the backs of citizens or slaves or anything else to accumulate wealth. Are you saying that this did not happen with Mansa Musa or less? I mean, I, it, it is something that, um, you know, I, I know that anytime that you have the spread of uh, power and you have the expansion of a kingdom, there's conflict. And there's often war, but I will also say that that's not something that Mansa is known for, uh, is, is, you know, being a ruthless leader. In his expansion of power, it, it was almost like a lot of these kingdoms wanted to be a part of the Mali Empire in, a, in, in to join in its, in its, you know, its wealth. Uh, and, you know, the, the other thing is, uh, several kings before Mansa, you have this other king, Sunjata who actually established the Mali empire. And in doing so, he had to uh, deal with conflict with, um, with a, a, a neighboring king. Um, so the entire uh, establishment of Mali is one of independence. Um, and it's kind of crazy how all of their kings have done so many am amazing things. So I would say that I'm sure that there, anytime you have kingship and like I said, expansion, I'm sure that there is some, some serious you know, uh, some, 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 maybe some oppression and, and definitely some fighting there. But this is not something, Mansa Musa was not known for being, um, a tyrant or, or a slave master or anything like that. He was known literally for, for being an incredible leader who was, um, you know, worshiped education, um, was all about generosity and he gave a lot. He, his whole life he gave. Um, and he promoted education. I think that that was something that's really important. Um, but I'm sure that the deeper that we find in his in his rule, that there is definitely some dark things. You know, you don't you don't get to be worshipped that way without having to do some 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 dirty stuff. So I think that there's definitely some things in the beginning of in the expansion of his empire yeah. that were probably you know. But I mean, these are things like I said that I I associate with any king and when you see expansion and you know that there's armies involved you know the way that armies move you know when they come into an area if you don't surrender then there's fighting um and and after the fighting there's distribution of the wealth um and the people and you know sometimes the women and the children often get caught into that conflict um so there's i'll be real that's but that's war throughout ancient history so yeah. i but I would, I, you know, this is not something that I myself have um, ever studied particularly or that is particularly exhibited underneath the rule of Massimus. So what, what about his brother? So, but I will say this, though. I will say that this was an, an Islamic kingdom. And in, in Islam, um, slavery is sanctioned in many different forms. So it is something to recognize that, yes, I would not be surprised if, and, and especially during the time that there was some um, serious oppression there underneath Mali, especially if there were any of the, you know, any of the opposing powers that might have had 
issues with Mali, if, you know, if they did not convert, I can imagine that there's, you know, some imprisonment or some punishment for that. Um, Islam is very strict in that way in the ancient world. Um, so I just want to make a point about that. Um, with, uh, Abu Bakari, um, Abu Bakari II, uh, was an incredible, uh, king in the fact that he did something which no other Mali king had done before. Um, and rather than rule the kingdom, um, and stay in Mali, Abu Bakari was fascinated with the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and, uh, during his reign, he, uh, he created two fleets. Um, one fleet that he sent, I forget how many, uh, boats were a part of it, but he created this massive fleet on the coast, on the West African coast and sent these boats off into the Atlantic Ocean. They were then most of this fleet was caught in the transatlantic uh, ocean currents um, that will take you to the Americas. One boat did not sail into that current and returned to Mali to tell Abu Bakari uh, what had happened. This is actually not something that's just a story, but is uh, an actual documented account by a man named Al Umari who documented this at the time that it happened. Yeah, this is a thing that is that is written down regardless of any yeah. other theories. Yeah. This is this is something that is history. This is this is written history. What and um it's really interesting because it's still shrouded in mystery, but we have the African side of this history. Um in any case, uh uh Abu Bakari was fascinated by what had happened to his first fleet. He then uh, created a second, more massive fleet. This fleet had 2,000 ships. Um, and he had, if I'm not mistaken, there was a thing where he created two of each ship in case one failed. He would always have a double of that kind of ship so that you can imagine how massive this, this fleet was. Um, and, uh, these fleets, uh, it's something also to, to, to note that these were seafaring ships. So, um, you know, a lot of these ships were, were rather massive and able to cross the ocean. In any case, Abu Bakari, um, in the year 1311, uh, uh, handed his, uh, kingdom down to, uh, Musa. And then Abu Bakari went with his fleet and sailed out into the Atlantic Ocean and they were never seen again in Africa. 2,000 ships. Um, so the, the important thing about Mansa Musa is that um, Mansa Musa's uh, expedition coincides with evidence of African people landing off the coast of Brazil in 1312. <laughs> and this is something that's really incredible because this is something that a lot of people don't know, that this is something that happened prior to Christopher Columbus uh, traveling to the Americas. And it's not to say that Africans were the first people to travel to the Americas. But it is to say that when we say Christopher Columbus discovered America, that is one of the biggest and most false statements that you could say, considering, um, uh, you know, uh, expedition in the world. Uh, there were so many other fleets, not just the, uh, the Africans from Mali. There's also um, evidence of Vikings landing in, in America. There's evidence of of Phoenicians and ancient people from Kemet landing in ancient uh, America as well, uh, circa 1900 there's a, BC. There's a lot. Of, go ahead. Sorry. 
there's just there's just evidence of everyone being here. I mean, if you if you if you look at yes. the world as is. All right. So I explained uh, a lot of this to a friend of mine recently, uh, taking a cue from a book you recommended me. They came before Columbus and his not exact quote, but a, a summation. He he said, well, that makes sense. If Asians can walk here, why couldn't Africans float? Wow. And, yeah. it's like, you know, Vikings, wow. Celtics, uh, it's incredibly likely that Chinese uh, expeditions and Japanese fishermen blow off course. My favorite thing, there's a, there's a native community in the Southwest, I don't have the name on my tongue, uh, that has words in it that are identical to Japanese, strongly. Right. Yeah, and like, none of this is... Very little of this would be considered historical proof, but it's all strong evidence supporting a probability. Exactly. And I think that the, the biggest thing, especially with that, with the book that we were discussing, that explains a lot of these travels, uh, you know, from Dr. Ivan Van Sertima currently has the most popular book that talks about Africans traveling to the Americas. Um, but his book is highly scrutinized, um, highly criticized and often dismissed simply because he is a black scholar. Yeah, um, it's, it's counterculture within anthropology. Ex- like it's which is, not it's, what's established. Right. And that's the problem because we can't learn when we are looking at history that way. It's really important for us to analyze all of the evidence so we can get a greater picture of our history and recognize how did African culture influence the Americas? How did the Americas influence African culture? Because there was trade. And you not only find African things in America, you find American things in Africa. So you know that this wasn't just a one-way street, but at some point they were able to navigate this in trade and things went back and forth, not just between Africa and America, but Africa and Asia. And this is these are the things that Van Sertima wishes to uh, illuminate. The problem is, is that we are living in a world where at this point in time, people felt that before European contact that Africa had no culture, that Africa had no ingenuity, Africa had no science, um, you know, pretty much no civilization. And this is absolute false, uh, uh, absolute falsity, um, excuse me, and, and fallacy. It's just, it, it, you could not get further from the truth recognizing that hu- human life really uh, began in Africa and has spread from there and, um, and grown from there. And so you find some of the most ancient um, you know, honing of a lot of these uh, uh, sciences in Africa. And so, you know, one of the biggest ones that is the, the you know, something that, especially looking at uh, uh, ship and naval development in ancient Kemet, which is something that we know in, in, in seeing the seafaring peoples of that time, it's, you know, it's something that it, it's, it's very, to think that African people were not capable of traveling the sea uh, at, in, in early ancient times based on the fact that we didn't have civilization and we were not capable or smart or developed enough is some fucking bullshit. <laughs> so it's one of those things well where said. It's, it's important for us to recognize and to analyze all of the evidence, no matter who the source is, if they are talking about you know expanding the understanding of the human condition and how history works, we need to include African people in that picture. And we need to analyze the things that a lot of black scholars are trying to bring to light that a lot of uh, 
white scholars with traditionally racist outlooks have often dismissed. Those attitudes, maybe some people are not necessarily quote unquote, all the way racist today in the academic community, but those attitudes still exist, whether they like it or not. And it's important that we um, in the modern world change that and get to a point where we can analyze history fully without a racist agenda, agenda or a prejudiced agenda. Um, and how we, how we, you know, exhibit that information is incredibly important. So I would like to see some more projects, documentaries, movies about these Africans, about the, the, of the Vikings in America, things of, about people traveling to these places where, you know, often traditional thought is that that couldn't have happened. Um, yeah, I always, I always think a lot, a lot of white people, myself included, weren't aware of the the Tulsa riots that happened almost a hundred years right. ago until HBO's Watchmen came around and shoved it in our faces. Right. And if history that's that recent has been lost to a lot of people, like how easy would it be to lose the history of things that happened five hundred or seven hundred years ago, uh, if they were recorded and forgotten, or if they were just ignored for a possibly racist agenda right. uh, there's a lot of shit out there and uh it's pretty important to represent that yes i had yeah. a couple quick follow-up i wanted to talk about some more modern stuff while i still got you have you been yeah. uh, watching lovecraft country at all Speaking so watchman so so i st- i watched episode one with my beautiful empress my queen and we <laughs> saw lovecraft country number episode one and we were blown away I love the series. I love what it's doing. I am so happy, not only for Courtney Vance, but also for Jonathan Majors. Right. So we worked with Jonathan Majors on Last Black Man, the largest Indeed. thing that we've done together. Indeed. Uh, what What's it like to see people you've worked with like explode yeah. like that? He is yeah. leading a Jordan Peele, J.J. Abrams, HBO show. Right, yeah, um, uh, uh, and I, I want to know. I worked with Courtney Vance as a PA on Terminator. Oh snap! Genesis. I did not know. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like like seeing these brothers. Like, oh wow, like you got you know. And Courtney Vance is already doing amazing things, but Jonathan Majors, I can't say enough great things about this young man. Um, as far as meeting him on When We Rise, and then working with him very closely as an AD on uh, Last Black Man, and just seeing him as a method actor. He's an incredible person. You have to know that he's a method actor. When he comes to a set, he is that character, and he stays that character from day one all the way until rap. And now so, you know, you know, no one told me this when I showed up on the first day of Last Black <laughs> Man, right? I called up Jonathan, and he lightly slapped me in the chest. <laughs> no one told me. That's so great. And, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't realize that in prep that he was already him. So, like, yeah. It was a definitely an interesting thing, but then you realize um, there's these really awesome things about that that brings life to the character in ways that other actors can't. So I will say that Jonathan Majors, man, that's a real actor right there. Um, yeah. Other folks too, like Lakeith Stanfield, man, that's a real actor right there because this person outside of that role is a different kind of human being when you see him. And then when you see him take on a role, a lot of the roles that Keith does, they're so different. It's because, you know, I feel like he brings some of himself to all of these roles, but he's able to really become a character. And a lot of people can't do that. And they are literally the same entity in every series. So I, I'm really, really proud of 
uh, all of their success. Anybody that I have ever met in in my career, I'm I'm always so proud to see them go and become something greater. But these particular brothers, man, um, I, I'm just incredibly, incredibly just amazed and couldn't be more proud of what they're doing and the things that they're getting ready to do. I'm really excited for what Keith is getting ready to do next. I've heard talks about him working on an anime project to bring to life the biography of Yasuke, who's one of the the, the black uh, samurai uh, uh, historical figures in Japan. Um, there, there's just so much amazing things, so many amazing things that that, that brother is doing. So, uh, and, and Jonathan Majors, man, I I just I I cannot wish that brother uh, enough positive energy because he's just such an incredible human being to be around. I found out recently that there was a live action version of Yasuka in developments. And I say awesome. was because unfortunately it was a Chadwick Boseman project. And I oh. wanted to, I know that's, oh, if you didn't even know that, that's double heartbreaking. Yeah. No, I wanted I to, cause we're, we're almost running out of time and I'm, I'm so glad you came by to, uh, to follow up on Shaka Zulu, but uh, it would be irresponsible to not talk about the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman. Oh. Um, uh, who to me was one, one of the few celebrity deaths that's really hit me because he is an artist who is still actively giving things to me personally. I know that's a selfish way to look at celebrity deaths, but when someone like Prince or Michael Jackson uh, or like an older actor, like death is death is a thing that happens, yeah. but colon cancer at 43 is not a thing that happens. So if to me he's just... He's just a charismatic guy who gave me a lot of art that I liked. Um, how are you dealing with this? Um, I'm hit hard. I'm hit, I'm hit so hard. So so my Chadwick Boseman actually bought books for my mom. Um, so like like you know what I'm saying? Like it's like real, bro. Like you know, um, Chadwick Boseman, uh, rest in power. That brother was truly the embodiment of a king. He's the first black king that some people have ever seen on the silver screen that was that was done with finesse and with elegance um not only that he was such an incredible actor and he portrayed so many historical figures and brought them to life um with authenticity he was a real actor he was able to take on different roles outside of that he was an incredible human being he was a philanthropist he gave back to his community um he gave he he went and did things for people who were suffering for cancer that had no idea what he was dealing with. Um, children, there's so many things. And, and just recognizing what he is to the black community, like to children, uh, and seeing like how you look up to somebody, like like it it, 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 it hit me hard because he is the Black Panther to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, I didn't have a face on it before him. And, and I grew up reading Black Panther like being a real comic book enthusiast, enthusiast, understanding Black Panther, um, still reading Black Panther to this day. Um, and like, it's, it's an incredible thing when you lose somebody who contributed so much while they were suffering. Um, and I can say that I don't often shed tears for celebrity deaths, but I for surely did for Chadwick. And, um, and I, myself, I have a collection of Black Panther t-shirts. I have a collection of t-shirts in general, but one of the largest that I have of that collection is my Black Panther t-shirts. You do um, like to rock that on set. Yeah, you know, and so it's like, it's, it's, it, it hits, it's very personal. 
it's very personal because these are actual representations of that man and his portrayal of the character. Um, and some, and like I said, he just his body of work is amazing. His his body of work, although so short in his life, is amazing. And some actors, having lived many many decades, cannot say that they have done what that man has done. And with the positivity that he brought to his his roles, I and he's just amazing. And I and I think that any and all um, black actors moving forward male female and otherwise however you are you they they can do so much to learn from his method and his style and in his spirit and his attitude those were the things that you know i never met this man but in everyone that i know that has come into contact with him they say that he was a phenomenal spirit and human being and you know it shows it shows through his work yeah i'm bummed i never got to work with him right though right yeah. though I'll get to work with Lakeith someday, though it'll happen. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. We we should we should both do that again. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, sorry to end on such a down note, but thank you so much for uh, for stopping by. Uh, you got anything to plug? Oh, uh, man. Um, if you haven't seen it already, there's a series for the SF Symphony called Current, and I just got done work working on this uh, episode three called From Scratch, um, and it exhibits hip hop culture. Uh, 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 it, it, in conjunction with the SF Symphony. It's an incredible piece. Uh, definitely check that out. There's some other things that are going to be coming up in the in the next year. We'll see how COVID-19 affects those projects, but I'm just incredibly thankful, grateful to still be working, still be active, and looking forward to more positive times in the future. All right, and uh, think about buying a book from Hilton's mom. Yes, ashebythebay.com. Go there. Buy your kids books, not video games. Get books. Teach. Learn. <laughs> and speaking of they came before Columbus, I'd be remiss to not mention that it's also, as someone who reads a lot of historical textbooks, most of which are very boring, it's really well written and engaging. Like it's rare that I actually finish any of them. So I wanted to specifically shout that out. Uh, and so you can... The best way to get a hold of us at the pod is at stillgoodpod. Just drop us a DM on Instagram. Let us know if you want us to do more of these sort of raw and uncut interviews, uh, more bonus episodes. I definitely found it rewarding. And uh, we've got a website, stillgoodpod.com, where you can catch our backlog of episodes. And uh, stay tuned for whatever we have in the future. Thank you, Sage. I appreciate you having me, sir. Thank you. (laughs) 